John 14 and 26 is the verse for us today. I'll read it. But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. This, as you know, is Jesus talking to his disciples. I'll read it one more time in that long set of uh, passages, John 14, 15, 16, where he's talking about the Holy Spirit, who the Spirit is, and here what the Spirit does once more. But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. When I was preparing for uh, this morning's sermon, I started thinking about my teachers and um, uh, the ones I didn't like and uh, the ones I did like. And, and I did some pretty bad things to the teachers that I didn't like. Uh, when I was in grade school, I won't tell you that story. I don't want you to know that about me, actually. Um, but for the teachers, uh, this, the, I'll give another confession later, but not that one. But for, for, for the teachers uh, that, I, that, I, that I do like, for my favorite teachers, they, I, I responded to them in a certain way. And, and you are probably similar. Uh, you, you have people who, when I say favorite teachers, somebody comes to mind right away. And, and uh, when I think about how I responded to my favorite teachers, I listened to them. I asked them questions and trusted their responses to me. I took them seriously. And even now, for my favorite teachers, um, be it the one I had a crush on in first grade or fourth grade, or be it my psych and law professor in college who was both a, a lawyer and a child psychologist, or my, my teacher uh, who transformed how I think about Christian formation and pastoral ministry, Scotty May at Wheaton, or my uh, pastoral counseling profs, or like my mentor who hasn't been able to get rid of me since I was 14, when I think about these folks, when I learn something new, I gauge new information by what my favorite teacher said. That's how I interact with some of my favorite teachers because they have, have impacted me in, in so many ways. They've become a kind of benchmark for wisdom in my life. And when we come to John 14, 26, Jesus is talking to his disciples and he says to them that they who have walked with him and learned from him will get a new teacher. 
Imagine Jesus being your teacher and Jesus saying, you're going to get another teacher. Now, I I, I assume that Jesus wasn't always in the category of favorite with these disciples, right? I mean, he was a teacher, and no teacher is perfect, and no teacher in the eyes of the student is perfect. But, But here is Jesus telling his disciples that he is going to leave them, and his Father will send an advocate who has things to say, who has things to teach, things that God is rehearsing about them. And there is a three-part communication of, of, of words being spoken that John hints at in this passage. There is the Father who is sending the Spirit. There is the Spirit who comes. And then there is the name in who the Spirit comes, Jesus. So there is this triune presence of words being spoken, the Spirit who abides or who will abide in these disciples speaks what the Father says. First John 3 says that we receive these things from God. We receive what God sends like I would receive my favorite teachers. Might this mean this morning that we are not just disciples of Jesus, but also disciples of the Holy Spirit? It's probably too much to ask of you this morning, but it's entirely consistent with Christianity for us to call ourselves disciples of the Holy Spirit. It doesn't have the same ring as disciples of Jesus, but it's true if Trinitarian understandings hold that we are not just students of Jesus, followers of Jesus, but we are students followers of this other teacher that Jesus says in this text will come to his disciples. Miroslav Volf says that we are children engendered by the Holy Spirit. And it's sort of in that uh, tenor um, that my message comes this morning. Because looking at John in the epistles, in 1 John 2, he talks about Jesus as our advocate to the Father. Jesus is sent from God for us and then returns to God to advocate for us, to tell God things about us, to speak truths in the Father's company about us. Jesus is our advocate to the Father. In this passage, in the gospel, John records Jesus telling us that the Spirit will be our advocate from the Father. So we have an advocate to the Father, and we have an advocate from the Father. This spirit, this advocate, will tell us what's been said about us in the company of God. So how does the advocate minister to us? What does this Holy Spirit that Jesus talks about do? Two things. I will say them. I will go over them. And then I will be done. And then we will sing. We will take offering. We will sing and we will go. (laughs) And it's almost going to be that quick. Almost. 
So not a whole lot of mystery in the message. Two things, if you look at the passage that I read, the verse, it's there. It should be underlined in its own way. So the first thing that we see the advocate or the spirit doing is the spirit teaches. Everybody say the word teach. Jesus does something, says something that I wouldn't say. And he's Jesus, so he gets to say it the way he says it. But Jesus says that the Spirit will teach, and then the Spirit will remind. That's number two, by the way. We'll get to it. But, but so I, I sort of wonder why Jesus didn't say, well, the Spirit will remind you of what I said, and then the Spirit will teach you. It seems sort of backwards to me, and that's my prayer, and that's what I'll handle with Jesus. And Jesus will be very convincing to tell me he says what he wants to say. But Jesus says that the Spirit teaches. Doesn't tell us in this verse what the Spirit teaches. We have to go to another passage a couple of chapters later in John 16 to see more of the content of what the Holy Spirit will teach. And there's a slide for John 16, verses 7 through 15. And here we learn a little bit more about what the Spirit will teach. Look at this. But very truly I tell you, It is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. About sin, because people do not believe in me. About righteousness, because I am going to the Father where you can no longer see me see me no longer, about judgment because the prince of this world now stands condemned. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear, but when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own, but he will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. This is why I said the Spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. In both John 16 and in John 14, Jesus is talking to his disciples as he prepares to depart in that grand way as he ascends into heaven after his death and resurrection. In some ways, he's looking ahead to his death. In other ways, he's looking ahead to life beyond him. And he says in the same way that he taught, the Spirit teaches. How I taught you, he's telling his disciples, the Holy Spirit will teach you. Jesus wasn't distant. He was personal. He was in touch. He was in contact. He was close to his disciples. And he is not the only teacher who is those things. They studied with him. They ate with him. They joked with him. They traveled with him. They watched him work. And he says that the teacher who is coming after me, the advocate who is coming after me, will be in just close company, in the same kind of close contact, will be in touch with you. My wife is not the Holy Spirit. But 
I think of her when I think of uh, some of this text. We have a five-year-old. The boy is, um, he's smart. Uh, he's a lot of things. And um, about a year or so ago, maybe a little more than a year ago, he was learning how to write, you know, numbers and letters. And he had the darndest time with uh, the number five. Five. One, two, three, four, five. And I know you probably haven't written a five in years. Who writes, right, these days? Um, but you do still have to learn, I understand, how to write these things. And uh, so he's in preschool at the time, learning. He's still in sort of preschool, and he's learning how to write a five. And um, if you think about a five, a five kind of looks like an S. And he made a five that was really not a five. It was an S. And my wife, you know, every other day when he's practicing the fives, is the one to uh, sit down at the table with him, got these line pieces of paper, and she's showing him how to hold a pencil and showing him how to go. I mean, she had a little language, like move from something to something and go from there down. I mean, she had a whole little thing. And uh, she was teaching him how to write a five. Whereas me, the, the way I do it is I walk over and I say, this doesn't look like that. Um, Do it again. Do it again. Come on, do it again. And he'll look at me, and because he knows, he will try to do it again. And I'm, you know, good at what I do. I say, no, 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 not yet. Keep keep at it, right? So, of course, my role uh, is to get dinner ready, and she does the sort of homework thing. And that's how we sort of, but but it takes a kind of patience, a kind of closeness, to teach a four-year-old how to write a five. And I think about the role of the Holy Spirit in the same way. We are trying to write fives that look like S's, and we have all kinds of inputs and voices that sound like me saying, hmm, that, no, that's not it. Do it again. Try it over. You know, keep going. Keep going. Don't stop. But, you know, we don't learn how until a teacher comes and maybe takes your hand even to help you trace, to help you learn the way you need to. Jesus talks to his disciples, speaking to them about the kingdom of God, and he tells them that they are going to be taught not just by him, but by the Spirit. And, 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 and my other question for this text um, is, 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 what is there for these disciples to learn? I mean, they, they've been with Jesus. What else is there uh, to learn? Who else is there to speak? I mean, you know, if you spent time with Jesus, I mean, it's sort of anticlimactic from there, right? Jesus taught them a lot of things, and, 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 and yet he says, before he talks about the reminder of what he taught, that the Spirit, the Advocate, the Holy One, will have things to teach you. 
The one thing I came up with is I pondered what might these disciples, and, and, and then there's us, what might these disciples need to know from a whole different teacher, from, from a teacher who is not embodied, enfleshed, incarnated the same way that their primary teacher and discipler was. What, what did they need to learn that they didn't? You may disagree with me on this, um, and if you do, it's okay, but I have the mic, so I'm going to have more time, you know. <laughs> so, but, but here's the thing. I, I think what the Spirit needed to teach them was how to, be, how to be in a faith community, how to be discipled in a community when the person who has always been present and obvious is no longer as present and obvious. Before Jesus left, the disciples were a group, but they followed him directly. They heard from him. They took cues from him with his departure, certainly his death, but when he goes in the skies, as the, the, the writers of Scripture have him, which is on his horizon, they become a community of faith whose primary discipler is not Jesus, but is the Holy Spirit. We learn, and they did, from, from these individual relationships with God, but they would have known about the individual relationships with God already. They were Jews. They were practicing their prayers, and they would gather together even uh, 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 in the synagogues, and they would pursue those rituals. But they did not know how to become a people of faith. They didn't know how to be a Christian people and us a group who loved Jesus and continued to follow him. Jesus didn't teach them that. They couldn't learn how to be without him until they were without him. The advocate would come and teach these disciples and teach us how to be a people who cannot always spot God who is present, but not obvious. I had a, a class in college, and I have not refreshed this particular concept since college because cognitive psych isn't exactly my thing. Um, but it was a, a class in cognitive psychology, and cognitive psychology, um, you know, deals with stuff that really, really smart people uh, have to give their time to. I mean, the brain and the mind and uh, learning theory and memory, um, and there are words like Wernicke's in there and Braca. I don't even know how they say their names, but they're just these, these words and terms in cognitive psych. But one of the things I remember is a concept called state-dependent learning. And state-dependent learning is, um, in a sense, the, the need for us to learn, or, or the, the, um, the act of learning in a certain state that has to be recalled when that learning or that lesson or that material is retrieved. So you learn uh, 
about the gospel in a church where the pastor yells at you. Kevin was telling me about this this morning. Uh, you didn't know I was going to quote you, did you, Kevin, when you greeted me this morning? Uh, Kevin has, uh, has, been out of, has been out of town and is going to be out of town again. Uh, so he hasn't been at the church for a while. But one of the memories he has from being in a new community years ago was Pastor Peter yelling, right? So think about state-dependent learning. Where did I learn the gospel? I learned the gospel by somebody, you know, passionately proclaiming the gospel. When it's time for me to retrieve that lesson, when I need to remember what the gospel is and says and does, if state-dependent learning is true, I need the same kind of state to be replicated. Like, so somebody needs to holler at me when it's time for me to, there are probably better ways, more sophisticated ways to talk about state-dependent learning. But when the information has to be retrieved, the state is recalled. And here the disciples are with Jesus, and he is with them, present with them, turning the conversation to his death and life beyond them, telling them that they will have an advocate, and they will never get this same state again because he won't be there. And in some strange way, the Spirit of God, who is also called the Spirit of Jesus in Scripture, also called the Spirit of Christ, called the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit has a way of bringing back to us, and Scripture says this, and Jesus says this, everything that Jesus taught. So on the one hand, the Spirit is unique and distinguished from every other person in the Trinity, and yet the Spirit is also able to represent these same states of learning. We learn from the Spirit what Jesus taught us, which will get us to our second point. But here are a couple of questions for us to think about as relates to teaching, as it relates to this Holy Spirit who teaches us. The first question, and this is a question of readiness. Um, Are we regularly in a state to learn from God? These are my sort of questions for you. If you're inclined to come to church and get homework, um, and uh, maybe you're not, but if you are. Number two, who are our instructors in these spiritual matters? If the Spirit is here to teach us, who does the Spirit use to teach us? Is our love growing? This is a question about affections. When you read people like Dallas Willard, who loves to talk about the spiritual disciplines and discipleship, one of the things that he says is uh, the goal of discipleship is the changing of our affections. It's not so much the changing of our behavior. It is, it is the changing of our loves so that we love God until we love God until our reactions are reactions of growing love for God. Is our love growing? How do we learn about what the Spirit is teaching? We ask questions about whether we're, what we're doing to deepen ourselves in a faith community. Next, how do we want to strengthen what God is doing in us? How have we changed in the last year? This is a question for me about celebration. What are we gaining by being taught by this Holy Spirit? Who do we want to become 
Now, these are questions that I wrote from a kind of corporate point of view because I think it relates to us as a people of God. I think these questions relate to us as a church so that when we're talking about what new community is about, we're always talking about love at the bottom of it. When we talk about what this church is about, we're always celebrating, reflecting on what God has done so that we can be prepared for what God will do next, but we don't lose the sense of what God has done. So there's celebration and readiness. There's expectation, but there's also a reflection. We're we're at the church doing this, but this is true for us in our individual lives as well, where we ask ourselves this question of who do we want to be? Have you asked yourself that question ever, really, you know, or do we let people tell us, right? And and part of being taught by the Holy Spirit is we're constantly raising this question of whether we really want to be this person's student. Do I really want to be in God's class? The Spirit teaches. Number two, the Spirit reminds Scripture says, uh, Jesus says, the Spirit will remind you of everything I have said to you. When I was young, my mother cussed. And uh, cussed as in cursed, as in used profane language. And um, uh, incidentally, she's why I like to cuss so much. So y'all pray for her. And... (laughs) And pray for me. Pray for me. Uh, I, the, way I, the way I say it, it's, I, I say that I need to use all of my verbal powers to get the point across. And that's sometimes the most appropriate word choice is cussing. Now, it's not cursing. It's cussing. That's different. But anyway, um, my mother cussed. And um, she... Let us, at some point, charge her uh, for her profanity. So uh, we had the cuss jar, and uh, when my mother cussed, uh, we would say uh, to her, uh, Ma, you owe me some money, you know, and she would catch herself. And she'd say, okay, Ma, you owe me a quarter. That was a quarter cuss. There were quarter cusses and dollar cusses, and I... <laughs> I uh, I don't remember what was the difference between the two, um, but there were quarter cusses, dollar cusses, and she would cuss, we would catch her, she would give us money most of the time that we would put in this cuss jar. I don't remember where the jar is. I don't have the jar because I would be rich if I had the jar. Um, but the jar for my mother and maybe for us was a kind of reminder that she wanted to use different language most of the time around us. The jar was just her way of saying, and I think our way of learning, that you don't just talk this way. And my mother, good for her, didn't have a problem being reminded. She, she gave us the jar, as it were, to say, you can do this to me. You can hold me to this. But I think when it comes to us who are disciples of Jesus and disciples of the Holy Spirit, part of our problem is being reminded that we really haven't learned from Jesus what Jesus has said. 
We have to be humble enough when the Spirit, who also teaches us on the one hand, comes along and says, in other words, you should have known this by now because Jesus told you this a long time ago. The Spirit is able to communicate what Jesus has said in ways that you understand what Jesus is saying. Now, we can't do away with judgment because we already heard in John 16 that Jesus say the Spirit is going to come with judgment. A lot of us like to say, well, the judgment part is not really a part of the gospel. You don't read the Bible. So, so there's, there, there are these many things that Jesus says to his disciples that the Holy Spirit comes and remembers for his disciples. These folks who, who really didn't like to be called on stuff. You remember when they were fishing with Jesus and Peter, James, and John, the sons of thunder, uh, were out on the sea and Jesus said to them, throw the net on the other side. And they look at him and they said, first of all, who are you? You're new around here. We're the pros. You know, who are you telling us how to do this? They, they didn't like to be reminded that there were things they did not know. There was that one child who had a demon, and the parents came to the disciples, and the disciples couldn't help the family, couldn't heal the child, get the child delivered from the demon possession. And they go to Jesus, and they say, you know, your, your guys and your girls here, they couldn't help us, so can you do something about this? And, and, and they were essentially reminded that they still had more to learn. There's a book by a woman named Maria Harris, which is, uh, which is dated, um, you know, uh, but it's a book that for me is helpful when I think about the church. The church is a place of education and a place of service and community. It's the book, it's the book called Fashion Me a People, and she talks in this book about two problems with being educated, with being taught. And she says the first problem with the, and she's talking about the church in particular, the first problem in church is when we come to the notion of education, we think that education is for children. Um, so that by the time we do think about it for adults, we call it adult education. But usually, in general, education is for people who are small, for smaller people, for children, or, or for people who are at a certain stage. And once they're past that stage, there's no need to be educated in the same way. She says the second problem with education is that we equate it with schooling. And so most people think about schooling when you say education. And, of course, she says that schooling is one of the forms of education, but there are these other ways that people learn. There are these other ways that people grow. And, and I think as disciples of the Spirit, we need to be aware of how we respond when older lessons come back because this, this Holy Spirit is here to teach us and to represent us the ministry of Jesus. And it doesn't always come in some form like schooling. It doesn't always come at a certain time when you first become a Christian. By the time you pass the catechetical process or by the time you go through the confirmation class or Sunday school class or this small group or that small group, then you're done. The whole point, at least from this verse of the Spirit's ministry, is to say you and we aren't done. So the Spirit reminds us of everything that Jesus has said. He uh, represents 
the parables of Jesus, the embodiment of Jesus' kingdom of God values, the miracles that Jesus worked, the arguments with religious leaders and scholars. He represents Jesus reaching for outcasts. He represents Jesus sitting on the margins of his social location and pressing against them. To this group of folks who could not quite capture the fullness of Jesus' words, the advocate comes. To these who couldn't exactly follow him, perceive him, or understand what he meant by this parable or that miracle, the advocate comes and represents those things. So the discipleship or following Jesus or being in mission for Christ is uh, the art and the discipline of staying with the words of Jesus. Think this morning, church, about how you're doing that, how you're staying with the words of Jesus because the Christian life becomes framed by our being reminded of Jesus' life and teachings so that we can continue to join God in a creative and a redemptive mission. But we we don't involve ourselves in mission without reminding ourselves through the spirit of the life and teachings and lessons of Jesus. So look here at this slide. I I prepared a kind of summary um, looking just at the Gospel of Matthew just to sort of capture uh, in in some succinct form some of the things that Jesus spoke to his disciples about, some of the topics, if you will, that Jesus covers, and this is just Matthew. And I would encourage you, if you're inclined to do, again, more homework. Maybe I just wanted the church to do homework this week, uh, to do this for the Gospel of Luke or Matthew, uh, the Luke or Mark or John. Look at some of the things that Jesus talks to his disciples about. Generosity, prayer, forgiveness, fasting, worship, worry, judging. And you will notice I just go through uh, Matthew here in a kind of sequential fashion. Uh, Destruction, knowing him, surrender, mercy, kingdom, work, abstaining from fast, mission, messiahship, rest, Sabbath, kingdom relationships, parables, clean hearts, his death, the church greatness, reconciliation, divorce, children, and the kingdom, eternal life, resurrection, love, endings, the Eucharist, Thanksgiving, that's the Lord's Supper, evangelism. These are some of the things these, in, in the Gospel of Matthew, uh, again, captured in one or two words that Jesus says to his disciples, that the Holy Spirit reminds his disciples of when Jesus is gone. Now turn to your life for a minute. Jesus said those things to his disciples. What has Jesus been saying to you? What words from the word of God just won't go away? Are there meanings or images or messages from Jesus that you just keep recalling? Maybe this is the work of the Spirit in you. If you've been at New Community for a while, you know that I, uh, I grew up in a church where people often claim to hear God's voice and, uh, and uh, claim to sense the Spirit's leadership to, I mean, you know, some folks in my church uh, back, back then would, would from morning to night tell you what God was talking about. 
And uh, it was a little unnerving, actually. It's like, man, God just talks all the time. For the introvert in me, I don't want to hear that. You know, it's just like, okay, let me just think about it, okay? Um, but but, 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 um, but there's, a, there's a quality of that to the Holy Spirit reminding you of what Jesus said. There's a quality of you um, always sort of knowing what God is speaking. And, and we've been talking about this, right, over the course of this sermon series. Pastor Peter's been preaching these same themes where, where we don't have to really wonder when we just look at Matthew. We haven't even gone into Luke to see what Jesus is saying and how he's teaching. There's a quality of, of our being pretty sure what the Holy Spirit has to say from the Father about us. In a sense, the Holy Spirit is continuing to re-gift the words of God. Have you ever gotten a gift for your birthday or for Christmas that you already had and that you didn't want and you looked for the little gift receipt taped on the box? You were so thankful, not for the gift, but for the receipt because you really wanted some socks and they brought you a tie. So you take the box back to the store. Or you give it back to somebody until you find out you're giving the same gift back to the person who gave it to you. Uh, the Spirit re-gifts us the words of Jesus and the words of the Father. One of the things that I've been learning over the last couple of years personally, and this is a personal interpretation that you can drop as soon as I say it, but I've been personally learning that discipleship begins when I am close to Jesus. But discipleship deepens when I'm not. That, that there's, a, there's a difference between starting and following Jesus and getting along in that journey and the relationship taking on a different form. In other words, it's not only when Jesus um, is close to me that I'm growing, but it's when Jesus can leave me and with other teachers that I'm also growing. So that the fear that I had, and some of you I've talked about this with, the fear that I've had of not being so in touch with God where like my forebears, I could tell you what God wanted and said is changed over, over a little bit to a kind of acceptance that Jesus can be really, really far away. He can be very unnoticed. He can be, he's not even here, and yet there's someone else who's present, who's responsible for my teaching and learning and growing and deepening in faith. I'm not just a disciple of Jesus because I hang out with him all the time. He's gone. Where is he? Do I have anything now that what now that what used to be is not here, am I still following? 
And the advocate is the answer to that question. The Spirit of God is the answer to that question. The next trial or hardship or challenge or grief that tackles you, can you consider that God has something to say about it? That the advocate is speaking words from the Father to you. Imagine yourself responding at work tonight if you work tonight or tomorrow if you work tomorrow. If you're a parent, perhaps you can rehearse to yourself um, as you encounter those little gifts from the Lord, those children. (sighs) That when you can't come to words, that God has something to say about them. If we who are students looking ahead to another quarter or glad that we're not in school right now or for those who are between jobs or places to live can still our fears and anxieties with the reminder that God has something to say about this? Come on, Brother Carlton. It works on you when you hear that. It begins to unravel the doubt, choking your trust. You hear, like your favorite song, words that have been said in some other place and brought to you by the best technology possible. My spiritual director says something to me, if I ever say to her, I have to preach. And um, she says, she says, Michael, what, what do you need to hear? And when she first asked me that, I thought it was kind of weird. Um, just like everything when I first started direction, it was kind of weird. And um, she explained her thought that when we preach, we speak things that we ourselves need to hear. Now, that's true for most of our conversations, right? Like you're arguing with somebody and they're not listening to you and the truth is you're actually talking to yourself and it's what you need to hear. You ain't listening to me. You're the one yelling. What do you mean? <laughs> when we started because uh, of the worship team's leadership, I, I invite you to pray for grace and and asked you, what was the grace that you need? And I want to end by asking you that same question. What do you need to hear from the Holy Spirit? What do you need the advocate to say to you? Do you need a reminder like the ones from Matthew where Jesus is talking to his disciples about this topic or that topic? What, what is it that you need uh, preached or taught to you. The heralding is there, the strength, the proclamation, or the tone that like a pinky finger can get right in your ear. Bow your heads and um, consider what you have before God. And try to listen for what God has for you.
here in our weakness, you find us. Stubborn, obstinate, some of us unthinking, some of us unable to listen. Some of us distracted, some of us paying so close attention that anything that moves will sound like you if you just say something. Some of us sit frustrated by waiting for this or that. You are the promise of the Father. you get your point across. Speak to us. Teach us and remind us of everything that Jesus said. And we will worship you even when we are unsure that you will come through. We will worship you because you are worthy whether you come through or not. And we will worship you as you build our trust in your great love.